building a company from nothing is freaking hard. Us entrepreneurs are expected to deal with unimaginable challenges and somehow keep a cool head through it all. This is The Art of Entrepreneurship, and I'm your host, Jackie Hermes. I grew my company, Excelity, from zero to seven figures with no partners and no funding. The Art of Entrepreneurship is a show where we cut through the BS and dig into what it actually takes to start and grow a company. If you give me your time, I promise it won't be wasted. Now let's get to work. Hello, and welcome back to The Art of Entrepreneurship. I am so excited to introduce today's guest. If you do not know him, his name is Marcus Sheridan, and he is the author of one of my favorite books about marketing, They Ask, You Answer. Actually, I just looked at his LinkedIn profile, and he said he's the author of They Ask, You Answer and a dang good follow on LinkedIn, which I have to support. So Marcus started a pool company in 2001, and he turned it into an incredible success by following the You Answer methodology, which he invented. And he eventually started a company that merged with Impact, an agency that is in the HubSpot ecosystem, who I know. And Marcus and I have been running into each other for years, and I'm so excited to share his wealth of knowledge and his humility with you today. Welcome, Marcus. Thanks, Marcus, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Oh, it just makes me smile seeing you, Jackie. It's going to be a great conversation. Oh, it's been too long. Okay. So, Marcus, I have been a fan for a long time. I probably told you that awkwardly when I met you. I remember (laughs) we met years ago at a conference and I was like, oh my God, he wrote They Ask You Answer. And I was fangirling hard. Um, So, I did that to another author friend of mine, and his response was, people don't usually like my books this much. And I was like, maybe, (laughs) maybe I need to tone it down a little bit. So hopefully you didn't think that, but no, I appreciate your passion. And it shows, I mean, people, I I don't want to live in a world of gray anyway. I'm just like, let's send it. Right. Absolutely. And I was telling you before we hit record, it is an incredible book and I recommend it to everyone. There are prospects, clients, and we do some of the methodology at my agency as well. The general premise of the book that I recommend to everyone is that you should be answering the questions that our potential customers are asking, which is crazy that people aren't doing it and making it hard for their buyers. Talk to me a little bit about how you came to develop this content strategy. Well, I think, you know, I'm not necessarily good at a lot of things. Uh, I I would say I'm a slow learner, generally speaking. The one thing that I seem to have a, a knack for is explaining the complex in a way that anyone could understand it. Love that. And that's, you know, what's, what's interesting about that too, Jack, is, you know, it was interesting when I wrote the book, They Ask You Answer, I, I would have people come up to me and say, you know, I've heard lots of talks on content marketing. I didn't get it until I read your book, right? Until I, you know, so, you know, read They Ask You Answer. And so, you know, for me, when I was with my, you know, started the swimming pool company in 2001 and uh, 2008, we have the crash. We've got to save the business because we are literally like ready to file bankruptcy and it was during this time that I really just started reflecting on how am I changing as a buyer? Of course, I was using the internet way more. And I didn't over like think it. I was just like, well, like, what would I want to know if I was shopping for a pool? What are the questions? What, what questions would I have? 
And, um, you know, I've been selling pools at that point for like eight years. And so I knew the questions I got every single day and I knew most of them weren't answered on our website. So I said, okay, I mean, this is pretty simple. Why don't we just answer all the questions that we get every single day? And uh, it started to pick up steam really fast. Like I could tell within probably like 60 days that I was onto something. And then I started to write about it. So I started... I started what would be considered, they asked me answer for my pool company in March of 2009. By November of 2009, I started writing about it on just a personal blog, like, hey, I'm doing this thing, and this thing's really, really working. And then within a year of that, it took off, and people were, were saying, hey, can you teach me that they ask you answer thing? Mm-hmm. Why do you think people don't want to do this or why they, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a no brainer to freaking answer the questions that people are asking, but yet we continue to make it hard for buyers online and put it behind walls and make them talk to us. So why do you think people don't adopt it? Well, I think, I think one of the biggest reasons is because, you know, you really do have two types of people, right? And you've seen this too, Jackie, your experiences like, like just with, with clients and with audiences and prospects, it's like, you have one group of people that uh, lives in the problem and another one lives in the solution. The latter is the minority, right? So not a lot of people live in the solution. And I wish it was higher. And I'm, of course, trying to change that. But what happens is you can go to a B2B service-based business and and you can say, uh, would you appreciate it if somebody was willing to talk about cost and price? as you were researching the product and service and they would say, yeah, I would appreciate it very much. And then you can ask them, well, why don't you do it as a business? We're like, oh, you don't understand. It's, we're very different. We're much too complicated. There's no way we can do that. And they start to just think all the reasons why they can't do the thing. Mm-hmm. But yet just like seconds before that, they said, but I would really like that if I was the buyer, if I was the consumer, right? And so what's happening is they're just focusing on, well, here's all the issues that we have with this. And, you know, like if you go in the financial space, the issues of answering questions is, well, we've got compliance and, you know, we've got you know all these different regulations that we've got to follow. It's the same, it's the same thing. There's always, always a reason as a pool guy. I could sit there and say, oh, well, you know, I can't talk about this. I can't talk about cost and price because, you know, pools are really expensive, right? Mm-hmm. Or I can't talk about the competition because, you know, I might introduce them to the competition. It was like, there's all these different things that you can tell yourself as the reason why. But this is why you've got to have like this, um, like a, a, a compass, if you will, like a moral compass almost. And for me, it's just really, really simple. It's the golden rule. It's worked for thousands of years. It's never going to stop working, which is if you were in, in the position of the buyer or consumer, would you appreciate it? Would it mean a lot to you? Would it, would it drive trust if they addressed that question, if they did it honestly, if they did it transparently? And if the answer is yes, then address it to the best of your ability. And that's one other thing about this, Jackie, is you know the, 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 the strategy really is they ask, you address it really, really well, because you can't always answer every question, mm-hmm. at least specifically. You, you can try, but you can't answer every single one specifically. And so people see the title and they say, they ask you to answer. I can't specifically answer it. Sorry, I'm out. It's like, yeah. no. It's, they ask, you address it really, really well, but that's not a good title. Yep. 
They, you know what? So I call that the no reflex. And we talk to our team about that. If we have anyone that is, yeah, I think that when people are stressed, they can get into that place of just saying no to everything. Oh, yeah. So when there's an opportunity, like, like adopting a new content strategy, exactly what we're talking about. No. And here are all of the million reasons that I can't do that. And I think I've recorded a podcast previously on asking the question, well, what would it look like if we could, mm-hmm. what would it look like if we could do something like this? What would we need as far as re- resources, education, retraining, um, you know, and it, it's not always that it can be implemented right now in this exact, you know, situation that we're in, but everything can be changed. And I think if you have an open enough, open enough mind, um, you know, it would be simple to say, yes, that totally makes sense. And I don't know why we wouldn't adopt something like this. I just love that so much. It's like, I, you know, the way I say it is, but if it was possible, how would we do it, right? And uh, then suddenly it's like, okay, we're all living in the solution now. And it's amazing what will happen. It's, it's, it's great, though, that so many companies are still closed-minded and they're living like it's 1995 and they're in control of the entire buyer's journey, which at the time was a, you know, was a sales process. But today it's a buyer's journey because you know, this way, those that are willing to do what's so obvious – just address your customers' questions. Do it well. Do it on your website. Their questions, worries, fears, issues, concerns. I mean, fundamentally, that's what they ask you. Answer is it's an obsession with the way people think and what they want, and a willingness to give it to them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's in the form of addressing their questions, but sometimes it's like saying, you know, I just wish I could have some type of pricing calculator on this website so I could better get a sense for like my budget, or I wish. There's some type of tool on the site that would allow me to select which one of these is the best option for me. I'm just not sure. And I don't really want to talk to a salesperson, but I really want a recommendation. I wish they had a tool that could give me an honest recommendation. Like that's the ask you answer. It's it's just this obsession with what would I be thinking, feeling, fearing, one wanting in this moment right now throughout that entire buyer's journey. And one other thing about this is we just got to we just got to understand, Jackie's like, we're not in charge anymore. We're really not. I mean, no. <laughs> the, the buyer is just so stinking in charge of the, again, buyer's journey. That's why it's called that, that we have to release this. I'm going to control it. All right? It's going to be on my terms as the company, as the salesperson. They're going to do it my way. I mean, that's one of the quickest ways that you can go out of business is by mm-hmm. forcing that round peg into a square hole. It just doesn't, it's not going to happen. No. And we haven't been in charge of the buying process for a long time. And I think that those that are successful are the ones that are realizing that and are giving people the tools to solve their own problems. What do you say? So doing things like talking about price or talking about competitors, which I, we do at my company, we recommend that people do it. I see the reasoning. And I also think that some companies will have a tendency to put out really slanted content toward them and being less by or less unbiased, which is negative than I guess they should be. How do you build trust so that people believe the content that you are putting out? Yeah, such a great question, Jackie. And this is one of the sections of the book that I, I don't think it's enough like uh, attention. Yeah. And I call it in the book disarmament, which is like if you think about it from a, let's say there's a hostage situation and you have a hostage negotiator. The first thing the hostage negotiator says to the bad guy or the bad person is put your weapons down. And the reason for that is because it's really hard to communicate 
with someone when they're guarded, right? Yeah. Now, when people come to your site, they're actually guarded as well. They need to put their weapons down. Well, how do you get someone to put their weapons down? That's the key. We have to disarm them. Well, how do you disarm them? Very, very quickly, whenever you're producing any type of content, any type of messaging, you need to say something within your messaging that causes the flinch. The, there's a flinch factor involved. So let me give an example of what that might sound like, right? Let's say I was doing a, 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 an agency comparison article or video, and it was Jackie's agency versus Marcus's agency, right? <laughs> and all right, which is like a fun subject, right? Yeah. And so I could easily say, you know, and let's assume that you and I uh, were, you know, we we constantly went against each other with with bids and stuff. So I might produce a video and article that says something like this. You know, one of the questions that we get here all the time at Marcus's agency is, well, tell me, why should I choose you guys over Jackie's agency? When the truth is, you shouldn't always choose us over Jackie's agency. In fact, there are times when Jackie is likely going to be the better option. So what this video or this article is going to do, it's going to explain to you essentially the pros and cons of both agencies. And hopefully by the end, you'll be able to decide which is the best choice for you. Now, analyzing that, there's some flinch moments there, right? Immediately I come out and I say, you know what? We might not be the right fit. Like what? Yeah, that's a flinch, right? Then I come right back and I say, in fact, Jackie's agency might be the better option for you. All of a sudden you're like, what? Right. So you're saying, now you're leaning in. So this is the, the weapon has come down. You're leaning in like, okay, I'm, you've got my attention now. I'm, I'm reading. And then we go on to say, and so, you know, what this video is going to do, it's going to explain to you very honestly and transparently the pros and cons of both. And hopefully by the end, you'll be able to decide which is the best choice for you. And now you're saying, okay, so you're actually not going to be biased with me. So that is powerful. Almost no brands speak like that though, Jackie, mm-hmm. right? But if you do, man, it is so, so powerful. And we just gave a B2B example. This, this applies any place. There's so many comparison-based questions that people are asking. Competitors is one of them. But you know, even if you're comparing, like it can be brand versus brand, company versus company, product versus product, method versus method, right? I mean, there's all these, like it just goes on and on and on. Like, so for example, with my, let's do another B2B. Uh, my agency doesn't do any actual campaigns for clients. We teach companies how to do this stuff, but we're purely coaching consulting. We're not a do-it-for-you agency, right? And so if I'm going to espouse my model, I need to be willing to say, again, here's the flinch, we're not always going to be the best agency for you. And the reason for that is because our model isn't the best model for everyone, There are times when you absolutely should use an agency that will do these things for you. And so what we're going to discuss herein is when are those times? When should you have an agency do this stuff for you versus have an agency teach you how to do the thing? Mm -hmm. Now, that's powerful. Most don't do that. No. And we do this all the time in our sales process too, where if you're really listening to the needs of the buyer, 
often you are not going to be the best fit. I have told countless companies, I think you need to hire someone internally before you look at an agency. I think for what you're looking to do, you need an intern or a freelancer, or it sounds to me like you're actually looking for a salesperson or an outsourced BDR or whatever the solution may be. And heck, if I can refer them to someone that can solve their needs, you better believe that they're going to turn around and be like, it wasn't a fit for me, but you know, you better go talk to this. Marcus guy or this Jackie lady, because she was really honest with me during the sales process and that builds trust. And you can do that in, in a split second, honestly, but by just being honest and not trying to oversell and, you know, we're not just trying to meet the ultimate sales goal. We're trying to create relationships and situations that make sense for both parties. And frankly, why should business not be like that? Should have been like that the whole dang time. <laughs> that, that Well, that's exactly right. I mean, the bottom line is you have to show both sides of the coin. When you're talking about why something is great, if you really want to win the trust, also talk about why it's not necessarily the best fit or why it's not an ideal fit for that person. That's why if you do a review of any type of product, service, or company, it should again talk about who it's for, who it's not for. Another powerful way to disarm um, uh, a, a prospect is to have a section on your website. I suggest a page for your site that literally is titled, Who We Are Not a Good Fit For spell it out. Now, mm-hmm. as a business owner, it's a very, very healthy exercise in, its, in and of itself. But when you verbalize it, it is so powerful because the reader, the viewer will say, my goodness, wow, this is, this is wonderful. Mm-hmm. And they're either going to self-qualify and say, oh my goodness, well, I clearly see that I, we are aligned. I want to work with this company. Or they're going to say, oh, I'm so glad they told me because clearly they're not what I'm looking for. Either way, you win. And your sales team's happier, right? Because they're not having frivolous conversations. I don't know why we don't do that. Let me give you a really quick example of that. One time, Jackie, I was speaking at this this group of um, high-end yacht builders, okay? Mm -hmm. And um, I had each one of them, I said, I want you to write, this is like the CEOs. I want you to write down on a sheet of paper right now who your yacht is not a good fit for. There is this one dude that... Like he sat there for 10 minutes and he couldn't put a word on the paper. I'm just like, bro, how? Seriously. I said, I love to fish. I love to get my boat bloody. Or is your yacht a good fit for me? He's like, well, no. I'm like, well, there you go. There's one. That's in the rest of the list. That's right. That's right. (laughs) That's right. See, I had the money to buy his yacht, but I didn't have the right need. They couldn't solve my problem. Mm-hmm. And so the, the point is, there's a lot of businesses, marketers, business owners that are so out of touch. They literally think that they're a good fit for everyone. You know we're not, Jackie, right? And when mm-hmm. you can own that and you can verbalize it, why wow, that trust factor goes way up. I was just talking to a client about that this morning. A product for everyone is a product for no one. And even if you think it's a fit for everyone, let's go and do some research and figure out who is actually using it and who it is best fit for. Word. That's why your clients are dang lucky to have you, Jackie. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. I have a couple more questions that I really want to get to. So what do you say to the people that are like, well, we can't do this because we'll be giving away all of our secret sauce and we yeah. don't want people to know what we're doing when we publish all of this stuff on our website. I know you've heard that one before. Many oh, times. I mean, yeah, like many, many times. It's like, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I, you know, my, 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 my funnest answer I say is there's no such thing as secret sauce. We all know it's Thousand Island dressing, right? And so it's the same thing when it comes to <laughs> that thing that you do. And I've seen this in almost every single industry ac- across the board. The ones that are thinking they're Colonel Sanders with the secret recipe are being left behind by the ones that are willing to show the thing. We want to see the sandwich made in front of us. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, really interesting, Jack. He's like, I have a, a swimming pool company and we created these like literally eight videos that were about 10 minutes each and it showed our entire manufacturing process. And fellow manufacturers were telling me like, Marcus, what are you doing? You're literally showing everyone how you manufacture these pools. I'm like, yeah, and we're the only ones, mm-hmm. right? But yet they're thinking, oh, there must be some proprietary knowledge there. You don't want to share with the other manufacturers or somebody could just build their own pool. They're not going to build their own pool from scratch. Are you all ding-dongs? And uh-huh. if they can, good for them. I mean, they deserve it. More power to them. Mm-hmm. But we constantly have people come to our dealers and they say, I know I want a river pool because you're the only manufacturer that shows exactly how you build the thing. And the last thing I'll say about this, uh, there's this company called the Geek Squad. A lot of people know them. It's like They fix tech stuff, right? And they yep. do a lot of they ask you answer stuff. And somebody went to their CEO one time and said, uh, why do you teach people how to do that, which you do? It's like you're cutting your nose off to spite your face situation. He said, don't you realize my number one customer is the person that tries to do it themselves? Mm. Right? That's how it works. So I had a prospect a couple of years ago come to me and say, we have been following along for over a year trying to reverse engineer what you do. And we decided to finally just reach out, reach out. <laughs> and we worked with them for a few years until they took it internal. And it's like, giving away the secrets. One, even if it's another agency or a competitive business, they're not going to catch up to you because you're going to be giving away new secrets by the time they adopt yours. And two, the people that are willing to try to do all of the work and spend all of their time to do all of the things that you're doing instead of hiring you are probably not a fit for you anyway, at the end of the day. So there's just so many freaking reasons why I, the, the giving away secrets thing always rubs me the wrong way. And I continue to hear it year after year after year. I swear. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. And, and, and really, I mean, but you get down to it. Most, most secrets are not truly proprietary for businesses. If you analyze them, like if you really hold them to the flame, they are they do not hold up whatsoever, and they're pretty universal for the most part. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, this one is off topic, and it's our second to last question. But I have to ask. So I saw I've seen you speak a few times, and you are one of the best dang public speakers I have ever seen. Like the man knows how to work a room to get everyone. I feel like we could be talking about something extremely boring, which you never are, but you could get people riled up about it and excited about it. How did you learn that you wanted to be a speaker? Like, how did you pursue the passion and learn how to do it? Yeah, I had a huge fear. And thank you for that, Jackie. I had a huge fear of public speaking when I was in high school. And um, and then I went on a, uh, I became a missionary for my church. And um, and so by the end of this mission, I'd, I was in Chile for two years of my life. And I was basically uh, teaching groups of people. And I had a ton of success. And by the end of it, um, 
the mission president is what he was referred to as. We were with a group of us in Southern Chile. There's like 200 of us. He said, I just want you to go around. I want you to teach all the missionaries what it is that you're doing to make you so successful. And that's when I learned uh, a couple things. As I mentioned earlier, I learned that I have this ability to explain complex things in a way that people can understand them. Right. And so, you know, because of that, I was, I was, I was having so much success and I knew by the time I was done with that, I was supposed to be a speaker, but you can't just at 21 in most cases, just become a speaker because generally you need a story, right? Yeah. Little did I know that the swimming pool company would become, would become the story. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of things that I, I, I recommend to folks when they're saying, you know, what should I, you know, what should I do? And like, how, how are you so successful with this, Marcus? And I think one of the biggest things though, Jackie, that's also the hardest to teach is that when I get in front of the audience, despite the fact that I love the audience and I really do love, like, I even tell myself, I love, I love my audience. I love this audience. I just, I, I, I'll say that multiple times beforehand. I also let the audience go. In other words, I don't need their approval. So often when I'm given, let's say, a recording of someone and they say, could you give me some pointers? What's happening that they don't realize that's diminishing their authority the most as a speaker is they're actually trying to sound smart. Mm-hmm. In other words, they're trying to prove themselves in front of their audience they don't even realize that's what's happening. That's literally what's happening though. They don't fully know if they belong on that stage. They're and because of it's manifesting in different ways. And so this is all subconscious for the speaker, subconsciously for the audience. Now they start doubting the speaker as well. And they don't even know why they're doubting the speaker. So that's one of the biggest factors. And the other factor is you know, along with letting the audience go, I walk into the audience. Now, a lot of people think that's very, very risky. Um, For about one to 2% of the audience, they're not going to like it. They're going to say, you invaded my space, or you yelled at me, or, you know, I I just don't like how you came off the stage. But 98% are going to say, oh my goodness, that was the most exhilarating speaker I've ever seen. And so that's why you have to be willing to let your audience go to really come out. Because you can't imagine if I if I just accepted that you know one percent feedback that said you know I don't like how you came into my space, then all those other people that said you know I've given now six hundred presentations around the world, and if I hadn't been willing to do it my way and go into the audience, I never would have stood out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So when I used to do public speaking, I told you I'm doing some some exploration and deciding <laughs> if I want to continue with public speaking is one of them. But I always like to start my talks with all the ways in which I screwed up and all the mistakes that I've made because yeah. it it helps just bring people down to like, okay, this person might be on a stage, but they're just like me. And it actually, when you talk about your mistakes and your challenges, it gives you authority, which is a little backwards in some people's minds, but it helps people understand that, you know, you've been through it, you've learned the lessons and you're willing to talk about it. And you're not up there trying to be perfect and using your big words and reading off your prompter and whatever it may be. So what, <laughs> what you just described is actually actually a form of, of disarmament again, right? Yep. Because um, <laughs> I'll give you my example. One of my business partners once told me, and this is when I was just starting my career, we were having this really just 
it was just a real intimate conversation about speaking. And he said, you know, Marcus, you've got this way because the truth is every dude that's in that room, when you get on the stage, they don't want to like you. They don't want to like you because you're confident, you're relatively handsome, and they're thinking, I don't like this guy. And somehow within five minutes, they're saying, I like this guy. And so what is happening there, right? And to your point, Jackie, when you come right out the gate and make yourself like the butt of the joke or the, and you do it in the right context, of course, or, you know, you, sh- you, you say, you know, here's the journey I've been on and boy, have I screwed, screwed up a bunch. Then they're saying, oh, so he or she doesn't, they don't think they're perfect. They don't think they're better than me. Once again, that's the, you know, like if the audience thinks you see yourself higher than them, it's very bothersome to certain members of the audience. It's another reason I come off the stage because it puts me on the same plane, essentially, as the audience. Like, hey, we are in this together. I'm no greater than you. And suddenly they become enamored versus saying, you know, what a cocky, you know what, right? That is very (laughs) easy for certain people to feel that about a speaker. Well, now I'm going to be watching everything that you do next time I see you so I can Mm -hmm. consider what the strategy is behind it. (laughs) I love it. Um, And I look forward to seeing you speak again. Okay. I have one final question, which is we have talked about, I feel like we've gone into a lot of different topics today. If there is one most important takeaway from everything we said today, what do you think it is? Well, I'm going to reword something we've said today. Uh, which is a phrase that uh, I heard many moons ago that's always stuck with me. And that is this, it's dumb not to dumb it down. Mm -hmm. And at first I was like, what? It's dumb not to dumb it down. But once I realized that instead of trying to sound smart, letting that go, the need to be impressive, the need to look intelligent, and instead seeking communion with your audience, mm-hmm. where both parties are understood mutually and uplifted. Now, that's where the magic comes from, right? And I think that's, if you take one thing from this, remember, it's dumb not to dumb down. I love that. I've never heard that phrase before, and I know I will remember it from now on. <laughs> I'm glad. Thanks, Marcus. It was great to chat with you. You too. If you got value out of this episode today, please share it with just one person that needs to learn about They Ask, You Answer, and meet Marcus. And I appreciate your time. We'll talk to you next time.